Welcome to Three in a Crowd. This podcast is all about creativity, mental health, social change, and how these things are practiced together to facilitate that change. Every week, I'm speaking to incredible people about a whole host of mediums, including fashion, film, creative writing, mountain trekking, performance art. Yep, there's a lot. To introduce myself a little bit, for the last few years, I've been exploring how rap, spoken word, sound and performance can enhance our mental health and also, or alongside, bring about change. I have worked in a lot of different environments from forensic psychiatric hospitals to festivals. I find music to be very therapeutic and I love working with freestyle collaboration, spontaneity in groups and also mentoring individuals. As a researcher, I recently wrote about trauma and how rap can be used to support recovery from particularly stigmatised diagnoses, including quote-unquote borderline personality disorder. At the moment, I'm working on research around how rap creates social dialogue, particularly UK drill. So watch this space. You can find more about me and my work on my website, vandercanton.co.uk or Instagram at vandercanton. So all of that background should help you to imagine my excitement for today's guest. I am speaking to an artist I admire, I respect and who has a lot of interesting projects on the go. You may know Pavin as Orifice Volgatron from the epic Foreign Beggars hip-hop group who have collaborated with a number of artists, including, to name but a few, Skinny Man's Grillex Task Force, Koji Radical, some classic and iconic artists from the old school to contemporary. Foreign Beggars won Best New Act at the 2004 UK Hip Hop Awards and were nominated for Best European Hip Hop Act at the 2010 Urban Music Awards, alongside other nominees including Roots Maneuver, Professor Green and Tiny Temper. Since then, Pavin has gone solo with new tracks including The Beginning, Karma, Whack and Row and my favourite, Stasis. In July of this year, he launched an exciting new label and platform for underground musicians and visual artists around the world. This is not limited to one genre, but promotes unity across creativity. So that includes hip hop, grime, my favourite, jungle, drum and bass, house, techno, amongst others. And if that wasn't enough, Pavan also founded the Yeah Yeah initiative in 2019 to raise funds to provide clean and safe water to communities in India and Uganda while continuing to drop iconic music videos and tracks, each paying homage to his roots. I know that he's pretty busy at the moment, so I'm really pleased that he carved out some time to talk to me. Pavan, welcome to Three and a Crowd. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Thanks for that lovely intro as well. I'm glad it was lovely. Yeah. I do try. Yeah, you do. Did, did it sound about right? Anything you want to add to that? Uh, no, that's good. That's a good, that's a good start. I mean, speaking of starts, where shall we start? Because you have got so much going on at the moment. I'm actually wondering what a day-to-day is even like for you. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, but I kind of take things in my own stride. I think being at home and not having to travel and tour and just be in 100 places at the same time is really helpful. I mean, I still need to work on my time management, but um, put a really good team together who are all very dedicated. So, And actually, like, coming into building the foreign currency project having done you know three different record labels in the past been in groups been in part of a management company i've really understood like the workflow of how things need to happen so putting the team together and building that foundation has been like the crux of what's been going on for the last three months Mm. um as well as getting all the new releases together and stuff but i think that's kind of the key really it's understanding 
kind of you know getting a good team together and understanding the workflow, understanding what needs to be done, and eventually time management when I get there. Yeah, <laughs> I think we can all improve there. Yeah. Don't worry about that. I mean, in terms of having a good team around you, what what does that look like? Like, what is a good team? Um, I think it's just kind of having really. I think the core of it is good communication, making sure that anybody everybody's on the same page about the project. Um, kind of understanding, like I think having a long term vision of a project is really important because it's really easy to have big ideas and have a dream and then just start doing all of the small things, you know, that are in the immediate. Say, for example, if you want to start a group, you want to put a record out and you start doing all, you know, just kind of rush into it without thinking of a longer term strategy. But by thinking of a long term strategy, like 18 months to uh, like an 18 month plan and a five year plan and eventually like a 10 year plan, you understand like you can actually kind of understand how it's going to grow and what's going to be needed and the things that you need to put in place now so that you can grow without it kind of collapsing in on itself, you know? So it's all about building Mm -hmm. the foundations properly, understanding, realistically understanding what it's going to take and what you can do. I think it's easy for many people to, because once you start working on a company or a business or, or any kind of a project, it's easy for loads of other things to come into it. So I think it's quite important to have your vision of it defined, the boundaries of your vision defined. Obviously, it's going to change and pivot as you go through, but I think it's really important to not try to do too many things at the same time. Like, for example, we're starting a record label and working with loads of artists, and inadvertently, we're doing kind of a lot of artist management that's helping the artist, but at this point, we're not trying to be an artist management company at the same time. We're not trying to be a distribution company for other labels. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of having... Mm your simple focus and getting your systems and everything right so you're doing exactly what doing exactly what it says on the tin and then once you've got all of that locked you can start to diversify as you grow because i think um you know obviously there's a lot of work and people are ready to do it but i think it's quite easy to underestimate if you if you're taking on a big project with a long term plan no matter what it is and no matter how dedicated you are it's quite easy to underestimate the kind of the different types of jobs that are involved in doing it. Cause it's not as simple as, Oh, I'm, wor- I'm working for this company. This is my job. And you know, I get the stuff that I'm supposed to do. I do it and pass it on. Cause in like any kind of a startup situation or a new business or a new group or a new, new activities, you suddenly find yourself having to do about 10 or 15 different mm. types of jobs. So I think for me anyway, working with the team and For me, I wanted to have full transparency in the way that we work as a record label because I think there's a lot of gray area that kind of creates this. I think it creates division between the label and the artist, and that's why you hear so much of this kind of rhetoric about, oh, your masters hate the label, labels taking the piss, all of that kind of stuff. So it's kind of really important for us to have a really um, transparent internal kind of vibe and philosophy so that everybody in the chain, again, we're like, say we're a record label, but there's five people in the company now so it's relatively small but it's also quite big for an independent company but i think it's really important for every single person to be aware of every single aspect of the company so that they know where they fit in in the chain so they'll know that because every you know everything affects everything else you know every there's five five different people speaking to each other on different projects and it's not necessarily a, like a direct chain of command everybody's mm. working on loads of different things at the same time so knowing exactly how you know, if you do something wrong or if you haven't delivered something, how it affects the rest of the chain kind of gives, you know, gives people understanding of the importance that they play in the company as well. And I think extending that out 
to the the artists that we're working with so they see exactly who's doing what they know who's doing what they know who to communicate with about what if for example if they want to know how much you know if, if they've received in advance they want to know how much is recouped they can speak to the guy who deals with the accounts they don't need to speak to me who's the creative director about it and managing i think in having that transparency and access to information also kind of manages the relationships and stops people falling out and that's 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 i think the, the that's the main thing for the set like the kind of nucleus of the organization to really stay together and be strong and kind of have everybody feeling supported and you know have access to the information that they need so that they can get on with what they need to get on with mm. I have so much to ask you yeah that. there was so much to unpack there firstly yeah. as a, a little sidebar does exactly what it says in the tin that was yeah. my favorite advert yeah. as a kid yeah. I was like yes I missed that advert yeah. bring it back the other thing that I was thinking about as well like it's it's quite interesting when you're talking about artists who are not necessarily represented or are not necessarily getting the limelight that they need or deserve but you've worked with so many massive successful artists who are in the limelight so why did you decide to take a little bit of a different direction well I mean just because okay so for example me starting a new label is kind of it's a little bit this new label with this new format is quite experimental and I didn't want to lean on a lot of the artists I know who are bigger, I didn't want to lean on them because they have, a lot of them have got their business sorted right now. So I don't really didn't really want to be asking favors of people. And it's kind of a new way of working that I wanted to test the ground with to see if it would work out. I mean, I've got a lot of big artists and big relationships. Um, but I think when approaching them, they would, if something was out of a traditional record label, record deal format, you know, they've kind of earned their stripes in that respect. They might be averse to not looking at it. I mean, they maybe, maybe not, you know what I mean? But I think for me, what is really important at this point is that there are so many incredible artists. Like, for example, if you look at England now, right, if you look at the rap artists, you look at the electronic music artists, mute their, because it's so easy for people to start making their stuff at home. They don't have to have a huge investment in it. Um, but the thing is, there's a lot of noise and there's it's a real struggle for you know, up and coming artists to really get noticed. You know, it's not the same as back in the day when there used to be an open mic and everybody in the scene was there and you could go and hear, do you know what I mean? Or there'd be like the certain raves that would be happening. I mean, in the drum and bass scene, like, you know, all the big DJs, you know who they were. So you can, if your music was banging, you could get, get it to them, get it on one of them labels and come out and start to get recognition and get the cosign easily. Whereas now it's like, I think artists have become a bit more of an island in that respect. So they have to, mm. there's a lot more they have to have dealt with i mean it's it's a double-edged sword with the whole social media thing and the instant access to everybody in the world because but there's a lot of other noise that you have to cut through and i've just seen it so much because i mean there's a lot of things to do with geographical geographical boundaries and situations that people have because i know amazing artists for example there's one of the groups that i'm dealing with he's a pakistani kid from Dubai and another guy he he used to live in Dubai this Brazilian half Brazilian half English kid they were living here together and they started a group and one of them had to leave because his family moved to to Doha so he was living there for a while but they're making this beautifully incredible music but neither they're not together which is not necessarily a problem but neither of them were in countries where they were you know surrounded by a scene or interesting management people that they can get in front of so they're just making all of this incredible music trying to put it out, you know, spending spending quite, you know, a fair amount of money to put it out, but not being connected, not not being part of an industry network, not being right place, right time. It's like the stuff is just falling through the cracks. And for me, that is just, that is just, that's, that's a tragedy because this is beautiful. And if it was somebody else, so if it was somebody else making this music in London or New York or Toronto or Montreal, they, you know, 
it would be an instant, okay, cool, these guys are great, let's put them on, let's get them gigs, let's get them signed, etc. Not it's not that easy, but when the music is that amazing, it really should be, you know. So people Do you like know what's that. interesting though, when you're talking about social media as well, like one of the things I've been thinking quite a lot about is how let's just take Instagram as an example, like how is Instagram changing the production of music? So what I'm noticing is like in the past when I was doing more spoken word and acapella, I would almost write to the two minutes that I knew I'd have an, an open mic or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Now though, I, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm not great at choruses anyway, and I need to work on my hook game, but I am noticing that now I'm like, oh, it's a minute, it's an Instagram video. Do you know what I mean? And I wonder yeah. to what extent it is changing the way we even consume music or I mean, think but, about it. But radio did that back in the day, didn't it? Do you know what I mean? Because radio said that we're only played tracks that are between two minutes and three minutes long. Mm. So the whole pop fuel formula changed that. Radio edits changed that already. If you look at if you listen to music from what what you know 20, 30 years ago, from you know like era when we were kids, you know you'd have seven minute songs on the radio. Look, listen to Leonard Skinner and Freebird. I swear that's got a five minute guitar solo in it. You know so. I think that format has changed, but again, that's only like in a, that's if you want to, I, I think that's, that's more written in, in the Instagram question that rings more true for content, but it's not necessarily the music. Cause if, even if we're putting Instagram content out, we might not put the whole song out. We'll put the part that's, you know, really going to tinge people in. I think if people are making music just for Instagram, then they're not really musicians. They're just content creators in my, in my eyes. Mm. But I think, um, because I think people are free again. I think there's a lot more freedom again now. I mean, radio dictates certain things, but as you've seen with the whole rap mu- move, rap music movement in the UK, there was a point where it was a real bottleneck for artists to get through because BBC would only play a certain amount of artists and those artists would rarely get onto Radio 1. You know, They were kind of relegated to one extra until there were like a few breakthrough artists that they would have. You know, They'd get somebody like a Mr. Hudson on the chorus and then it would make it palatable for Radio 1. You know, But then kind of it got to a point where I think around the gig, gig, you know, like gig, Skepta kind of era of stuff where it was just too big. And then BBC, BBC kind of just had to like lean over and make way for this because if they didn't, they would have got left behind. You know, that's the way I see it. So I think music itself, like if you look at if you look at a lot of the amazing artists who are coming out now that are getting a lot of love and respect, people like Green Tea Peng or Poppy or Judah or Koji Radical, these kinds mm. of people, they don't really adhere to any kind of boundaries like genre boundaries or track length boundaries they're literally doing what they want and i think there's been much more of a resurgence and freedom in artistic expression in interesting i would i don't know whether this is a me challenging it or just thinking it through so I, i mentioned earlier that one of the areas i'm interested in is drill and i wonder what your thoughts are on the kind of the the clash over it at the moment because on the one hand i do think that there is a little bit more airplay for drill artists. Oh, yeah. but on the other hand, we're seeing that so many artists are being censored and all their stuff is being taken down from YouTube. They're being, you know, under these orders, police orders where they can't produce music. I mean, yeah, this what, is what's the, your kind of take on that? I think this is just the age old racist trope, to be honest with you. Do you know what I'm saying? It's the same shit that it's the same shit that fucking jazz music had to deal with. Rock and roll music had to deal with when it was black music. And then again, later on with, Hip hop, come on, it's been going on for how long? Do you know what I mean? It's the same old fucking story since even probably before NWA. Do you know what I'm saying? NWA, mm. like that was just an easy target. And then in the end of the day, become an easy target, becomes press, becomes it also becomes, you know, easier for people to play into that because they get more 
because it's, it's a good business decision for them because they can play that and make it a role. It's just art and expression in the end of the day. And then you see the same thing with what, same thing happened with grime music. Exactly the same thing happened with grime music that happened with drill music. Do you know what I'm saying? All of these artists were getting, I don't know what that form is called, but something, I know it's got a six in it and a nine in it. Do you know what I mean? I don't know what it's called. Um, that is basically targeting people, but then they just shut down. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. But I think, again, it's it's strange how it rears its head with drill because obviously there are direct correlations with with heavy, heavy. It's it's heavily entrenched in gang culture. Do you know what I mean? And I think like just because gang culture itself is so cold, you know, it's so cold and so unforgiving, and that that kind of nihilism is very prevalent in the music. You know what I mean? It's not like I'd say NWA was kind of different because it's kind of storytelling. And actually, you know what? It's not different at all. It's just in a modern context and mm. it's really close to home. Do you know what I mean? It just, you know what I mean? Like whoever, you know, like, um, you know, middle-class family living in Dorset and then suddenly hearing all of this drill shit, it kind of really, it's really contradictory. And it's like, don't even have to go to Dorset. You can go 15 minutes out of London to see the, you know, like the, you know, the, the contradiction or the, the ju- juxtaposition mm-hmm. of these two completely different existences that are, exi- you know, you know, happening. And I think um, it's, it's an easy target, really. Do you know what I mean? And I think there is a big knife crime problem in London and around the country, but this is not necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily an inner city problem. This is, and it's not, it's not to do with, I think it's much more to do with the, the, the bad decisions made by the government entirely. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's, that's where the problem is. Look, how many, how many youth centers closed down in the last eight years since this Tory government has been in play doing whatever the hell mm. they're doing? I mean, I don't really want to get into a political debate about things, but honestly, there's loads of already already marginalized or disenfranchised kids from, you know, from less, you know, from less kind of, what is it? Like, you know, just poorer backgrounds or whatever. And now suddenly the only escape they have, like, for example, for kids to go to youth center and have access to a studio, this is a really beautiful thing. This is a really beautiful thing. And the, the, the interesting thing now, especially in the last 10 years, is that, you know, black music, rap music, soul music, R&B music, these are actually legitimate opportunity structures for kids in England now. In America, it was a way out the ghetto from early doors. But in England, you know, not necessarily. If you wanted to be a rapper 10, 15 years ago, that's not necessarily a really good career path. You know, you have, still have to do side jobs or side hustles or whatever it is. But now it's got to a point where, you know, having these youth centers with access to access to basic Macintoshes and computer software is really not that expensive at all in the grand scheme of things. It probably costs, you could probably, you could probably, probably stock up six or seven youth clubs with state-of-the-art equipment. That's probably the same amount it costs to send two people to jail for a year. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So the disparity is just ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Taking all taking those things away from kids is kind of really like, I don't know. But then the amount like I for drill artists talking about the things that they talk about and kind of having to put this thing on them where oh they should be more responsible with the things they say in their behavior. It's like, are you actually insane? They do not need to be. On on a on an individual level, if they feel like being a role model, someone that's their decision. But in terms of curbing someone's artistic expression, especially when you know, I mean, you're talking about being offended by the things you're hearing in a drill tune. Imagine having to live that every day of your life. What the hell are you? Do you know what I mean? It's like, just take a second and think about it. So personally, you know, 
it's the drill is a product is a byproduct of the decisions of the, the British government and the content in it. Do you know what I mean? There's mm. no, nothing else. People living that life. And do you think people would choose to live that life if they wanted to? Do you know what I mean? This is the only way they can make, this is the only way they can make a living. And, it, and, and it's sad that you have, there are some scary people who kind of create these environments and create these new pyramids and hierarchies and opportunity structures for people because people have, will always turn to an, an illegitimate opportunity structure if there isn't a, a legitimate one that they can go through. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Well, I think that's a really, really important point i agree with everything you just said and i think like even when we're talking about gangs it's like okay but that that just doesn't come out of the blue yeah like that's about trying to make an economic structure when you've been marginalized from what already exists do you know what i mean and, and it also i think it is a, a result of racism yeah so it it somewhat seems like it feels complicated but actually i think it, it's quite simple and on the other hand as well i mean you mentioned america um and hip-hop in the u.s it's kind of interesting to me and it's something i'm i could talk hours about but the way that rap creates community yeah and if you look at the kind of the cultural scenes that grow around rap like even actually this morning i was um watching a cypher okay Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Gully rap, yeah, like yeah. underground. Yeah, yeah it was, yeah. It was yeah. So amazing, so melodic. Yeah, I was like, what? This is. I mean, seriously good. I recommend everyone goes and checks it out. Yeah, there's this one cipher. I think it was 2019. It was on point. But what? What's your kind of view on on why it is that rap or music in general can create community and can create those kind of conversations i think with hip-hop specifically do you know what i mean hip-hop came out of a uh, people be you know people living in this kind of squeezed oppressed inner city environment and it was a place where they could come together and express legally express themselves you know and kind of have a good time with it because music is about connecting it's about celebration it's about being with people but then with the kind of advent of rap music and people being able to talk about their their own personal stories and their lyrics that's more there's more people to, you know, affiliate and kind of empathize with them and kind of, you know, recognize those stories in their own lives, you know. So rap music with its messaging kind of immediately traveled. And the fact that there's this kind of reverence of being the best that you can be and being an individual and that being respected in the culture kind of really gives, we live, I mean, like if you look at what the 70s, 80s, 90s, I mean, like in terms of, you know, Western culture, there's been a very, very conformist attitude, you know what I mean? A kind of conservative conformist attitude, especially in England. It's much more, England's had, it's been interesting because there's been both sides of it, but generally it's all about behave yourself. Don't make, don't make too much of a fool of yourself in public. Keep your opinions to yourself. Keep quiet, be presentable, that kind of a thing. So be, you know, find being in situations where you're not necessarily fit in, but kind of having a voice because you've experienced a certain type of oppression from all over the world who are kind of speaking that you can relate to is amazing so that in terms of hip-hop traveling around the world you know for example the, if you look at the gully rap thing that's happening in india and suddenly there's suddenly finally rappers have broken through you know indian rappers rapping in all different indian languages india is a place where it's been very top down with the industry it's very very whitewash very polished very bubblegum very you know tuck your, you know you're dancing on tv with your shirt tucked in kind of thing you know but um like now, finally, the, the the essence of rap music is kind of given the, these kids a voice and the internet and and hip hop blowing up and real true hip hop and suddenly 
the entire nation can hear people like you know people who are going through the same thing as them has kind of instantly created massive superstars over there and it's kind of shifted the entire balance of the music industry but in doing so loads of kids in the bedrooms are making beats loads of kids are rapping loads of kids are breakdancing loads of kids are doing graffiti and understanding that there is a wider community out there that can accept them if they respect this art form more you know so it's kind of it's for me like as an indian kid from dubai falling in love with rap music and really getting into it and understanding it and studying it and and then meeting other kids here who can do it and we formed a group and then our tracks are starting to sound good and you know we're doing graffiti and it's starting to look like on a world-class level that kind of gives me a ticket to walk go to any city in the world and find the, the hip-hop people and be like i'm here i represent and you know how much you care about it is how much you push your skills along and then people will see that and then there's a mutual respect for them, then bang, you know, you suddenly within, especially now with the internet, you can just form an international network of people. So I could connect with all of these peoples and then eventually book a tour and go around the world and connect with all of these people. And I think that's the beautiful thing about underground music that you can do, you know, like hip hop has literally given me my entire life path because I care about it so much. But that that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about as well. I mean, Again, it's something I, I find myself thinking through for myself and not asking a lot of artists about it. But in terms of using music for your own self-expression or talking about your stories or whatever, has have you noticed a, a change in your relationship to the stage? Like over the years, as your career progressed and with all the things that you're doing now, do you feel that you kind of ever find yourself self-censoring? Do you feel quite confident being open in your music? Like where... Yeah. Where are you at with that? Okay, me personally, in the beginning, I was very no holes barred with the things I was saying. And I still like to be very no holes barred, but I do find that I find I have to be a bit more, not covert about it, but kind of allude to things and talk about things as subtext and talk about things as context, in like concepts as opposed to straight hit on the hit the nail on the head like a low key or uh, immortal technique. Because for me, I still have an Indian passport, right? So there's, I have a different level of, I still have to apply for visas to go to places. I still so if I come out, if I came out, if I came out with an anti-Trump song, for example, I literally will not be allowed to go to America. And so it's like, it's an interesting, strange thing. There's freedom of speech for people from different places. Do you know what I mean? Like, for example, if there was a, if there was a, if there was an Arab Muslim guy, for example, was making super anti-Western, anti-American, anti, you know, Trump music in the same way that a lot of rappers from there make. They will, they they can literally be picked up under terrorist laws, you know. So, it's there's is is it's interesting. The UK is slightly different, and the UK is, is a bit more nuanced and will listen until you get to a certain point, you know. But I think um, you know, there's lots of things to talk about in music, and it doesn't necessarily need to be that. But I think there's ways to communicate. You know, life has got a plethora of issues and dramas that you can be dealing with. So in terms of finding other things to talk about it's not so much of a problem but I think um the way I like to see it I like to have the whole picture as a running commentary not a specific song about a specific subject I might do that but kind of if you listen to everything I say it's the perspective that I'm coming from which is what makes you know my voice Mm. and it it seems to me as well that possibly identity is quite prevalent in your music as well um in a number of ways like even thinking about foreign beggars first album asylum speakers which is probably the most epic name for an album ever like on point um but also like with your your work now 
I mean, two things really. I'm kind of interested in how you would identify, yeah. if at all, like your genre now, because it, it seems to me like listening back through some of your tracks, some of them are really grimy. Yeah. Like, and I'm wondering whether that's a conscious decision or whether it's just a kind of natural development or what, and how identity is informing the way that you produce music. Um, I think, I mean, for us, foreign beggars, like, I think there was, because we used to make really kind of, not left field, but kind of pushing the lyrical boundaries and beats and sounds like underground rap music, underground hip hop, kind of in the backpack sphere, if you want to call it that. But when we kind of started changing it up a little bit, I think a lot of people weren't weren't feeling that too much because I think people wanted us to be a certain way. But foreign beggars, we've always been into other underground you know, underground music scenes from England, whether it was, you know, it wasn't necessarily right to bring Garage into the sound at the time because there was such a disparity between the two things. But in terms of jungle, drum and bass, dubstep, grime, those all, all of those underground music movements, you know, heavily influenced our sound as we kind of evolved and changed. But I think um, that's, for me, I think a lot of people caught up with that afterwards. But I think... um being an underground UK group, underground rap group from the UK, you can't deny that there's these diff, you know, especially me, I love jungle. I love drum and bass. I was a jungle MC since I both, I started rapping and I started emceeing on jungle literally a year later in 97. So it's like, that's been a part of me for a long time. So to be able to bring those, just bring, be able to bring all of those things to the table and represent those scenes and be a part of those scenes was really important for us. Um, I think the music I'm making now, Still, like, I don't want to be limited, but I think I'm having, you know, it's having to leave, having had to leave the UK because my visa's over with foreign beggars. The fact that rap music is the kind of rap music I like to make is really accepted in India now. And it's a really important place, I think, to be because it's at the cusp of something really special. And I can actually, my music can actually connect with a lot of people over there. It's a good time for me to be there. So having that, you know, heritage Indian element in my music has been really nice too to be able to kind of explore mm. that and flip that in my own way but I think um, it's very important to have identity and I think it's through mu- I think through music actually helps kind of crystallize people's identities because you know there's a, people from I don't know there's there's people kind of just I wouldn't say marginalized but just kind of not where they're supposed to be you know they're Loads of people are born in places where there's not people. There's not a lot of people who can relate to them, either with their age group or with what their interests are, or like anything like that. But the beautiful thing about the internet and especially art music, I think art. I mean art music. I said art, art and music. Before the internet, it was I think art connected people differently because you know you couldn't just go online and just be like, oh, people who like the shit I like. You know, you could actually something would just kind of find its way into your life, whether it was music, a song or some artwork or a poem and then suddenly the connection that you would have with that would be so striking that it would send you into this research mode where you would go start digging learning and finding and then finding people who had similar interests and then connecting with them and sharing and having that discourse and then building physically having to own all of this shit as well do you know what I mean so it was a real like it was a quest you know for information and connection um, and I think that still exists everywhere. And I think kind of it's through those things that people find their identity more, you know? Mm, I love yeah. that, a quest. Yeah. That is <laughs> the perfect word for it. And yeah, I, I completely relate to that, actually. Um, one of the, the the things that I'm thinking about is how all of this sounds like it makes a lot of sense to the way that foreign currency 
kind of developed uh, I wonder if you can tell me a little bit more about that and you mentioned to me before that you feel that it's kind of given you a sense of purpose yeah most definitely I think um having done foreign beggars having done the brap app having been in India for like the last seven eight years putting on festivals and shows and seeing the artists develop and come into their own I've kind of got this crazy network of artists and people that I'm connected with and loads of different like micro scenes around the world and like I said, there's especially I think what really clinched it was going to India so much over the last six, seven years, because all of the artists that I've met then are now fully in their element and prolific and making amazing things. But there's a new generation under them who are so sick doing all sorts, whether it's fashion, photography, cinema, music, drag, all of that shit. And like the only thing is, is like they're kind of, again, even though there is a nice scene there, it's not so developed and it's not not as nuanced as other places. So there's a lot of them that are falling through the cracks. So people are making amazing music, but then because it's so easy to put it up on the internet, they put it on SoundCloud or put it on DistroKid or put it through some distribution company, but then they don't have, they're not part of like a living ecosystem of artists that their music can actually start to flourish and connect with people. So seeing that and then being able to take artists from India and artists from whether it's France, Spain, Germany, Japan, and kind of get them collaborating because they're both doing exactly the same thing in just different, different cities, kind of getting them to collaborate and both connecting their, both of their fan bases has been really, it's been something that comes to me naturally. So for example, I've got the, one of the first EPs I signed is from a kid called Young Raj from from Hyderabad, and he's a sick producer. And so I've got him collaborating with Jams, who's a UK grime MC. And then the next one is this guy called Frequency from Holland. I've got Bristol from Redders on the track, but then I've got a kid from Bangalore on the remix. So kind of really just kind of cross-pollinating all of these different scenes from around the world of like, like-minded people, just kind of just making, just connecting them and instantly like within a couple of weeks we've got new bangers coming out so just kind oh my of God. Make, this yeah. is the dream job do you know what i'm saying and it's like something when are you gonna be... hire me that's yeah. what i need to know Dude, i seriously need to be on board with that it sounds yeah uh, my level of jealousy is high right come now on, i mean Get it sounds space. amazing let's do it but how yeah. are you even how are you choosing artists like how are you finding them like what's the what's the process right now right now it's kind of I haven't really done a big drive to like get demos in and <clears throat> do, I mean, I always research artists. I'm looking up stuff all the time. As soon as I see something I like, I'll look into the person. And if I, if something, if, if it really blows me away, I'll just hit them up straight away without knowing what I need to speak to them about. I'll just be like, just want to connect with them because I love what they're doing and help, you know, just promote them on my pages and stuff. But um, I think, I mean, I've met so many people and kind of over our journey, there's people I'm, the, the, the first set of releases that I'm putting out are people I'm already in touch with whose music is amazing that I can already see kind of falling through the cracks or they're not getting the support they need. So they're kind of happy to work with me and they know my track record and we've got a good relationship. So I can kind of guide them through it and give them a direction and keep it working. So in, in the first instant, I did mention a couple of things. I did a couple of Instagram lives where I mentioned I would be starting a label and then quite a few people got in touch. I said I was doing an album. Quite a few people got in touch with me, sent me demo submissions for the album, some of which have actually turned into just their own releases on the label. Um, but I think um, I've got, right now, it's quite sick because I'm in a position where I can actually fill up the entire of next year's releases as well. But I'm just waiting to get our 
our i mean i've got the first 30 releases lined up for the label already so when we start releasing we're going to be releasing one record a week so we can actually start growing like a prolific label like a ausler monster cat or mad decent or something like that when Um, when is that that you're going to start releasing my my record comes out tomorrow and then i've got (sighs) another one coming out in three weeks and then after that from the 28th of august that's when all of the other people's releases start coming through into the system but yeah we're already working on them now but yeah 28th of august is the first release and it's Young Raj featuring Nate 08 and Jams. It's a five-track EP. Put it in your diary, people. Yeah. That is exciting. Do you know what? Like, if it's okay to say this, I feel like you come across as somebody who is quite generous and that you have this air of generosity around you in terms of wanting to connect with people and support each other, um, yeah. which is really inspiring. Where, where did that come from? Um, I don't know. It's just, I think probably like my parents are quite generous and quite giving in that respect. Um, I think, I don't know. I think, you know, I've got three younger brothers as well. So there's four of us. We've always shared everything and had like a nice, it's never been like, you know, they haven't had this kind of like, this is mine, this is mine. It's ours kind of thing in our family, you know? So I think that's one thing. I think I've been in situations, I haven't got, I got sent to boarding school, like a really strict Christian boarding school when I was 10 years old in, in, in Kent and the environment there was really hostile. Like kids weren't, you know, people weren't really afraid. It was very two faced. Kids would turn their back on, you know, like kids who you would help would instantly stab you in the back to look cool in front of somebody else kind of thing. So just kind of seeing a lot of that stuff at a young age, kind of just, it didn't make me like that. It just kind of just made me feel sorry that they felt that they had to live a life like that, you know? And I feel like Mm. there's, just loads of instances for me it's like if i have the information and somebody needs some information to go somewhere with their career i will gladly give it to that person because i almost feel like me not giving it to them is like me holding it back do you know so that's kind of me stopping somebody going from you know somewhere in the end of the day i've always felt that there's enough space for everybody in this thing you know so it's not like although there's competition and healthy competition it's not like if i you know if you're eating my plate's going to be empty it's never it's never like that in a situation so i've got no qualms with helping people i know when i came into the scene when i moved to london and i started in the scene over there and i kind of it was a beginning of foreign beggars journey there were people who were you know really forthcoming with information and it really helped me and it kind of helped really elevated me and kind of you know got me started with my things and it didn't take anything away from them but then there was other people who literally could have just you know introduced me to somebody or opened a door for me or giving me a small piece of information when they could see me floundering and falling over and all of this shit, which would have changed my life. But then, you know, it's not their prerogative to do it. They don't have to do it. So they don't, but that's just, I don't know, man, it's just a different mentality. Like, for example, like if I saw you drop 20 pounds on the floor and I picked it up, I'll, you know, that, that's me, that, that, you know, there's two ways you can look at it. You can be like, well, you dropped it. So I picked it up. It's not yours anymore because it was on the floor. Or you can be like, you, like, I'm the kind of person who'd pick that money up and give it back to you, especially if I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I robbed 20 pounds off you and I saw that you dropped it, you know what I mean? So, mm. you know, there's, but that's not the mentality for a lot of people in the, in the UK music industry, unfortunately. But I think that's also something that's he- held the whole scene back. People not willing to share because they kind of felt like they were crabs in a barrel in many respects, you know? So, mm. yeah. But to go from, from that experience then of, of boarding school and being aware of people holding things back or not being very forthcoming yeah. and then to be doing everything you were doing with foreign beggars and being on tour for like what 17 years yeah. and being in the limelight I mean I can't 
I can't imagine that it sounds exhausting and terrifying and you know you really do need a thick skin but I'm wondering like do you feel that it had an impact on your mental health or do you feel that the the public response to you may or may not have changed the way that you see yourself I mean us yeah there's definitely I had a conversation with somebody about this the other day and I definitely firmly believe that there should be support for people in the music industry especially people starting out people getting deals for me for me I'm slightly different because I was when I came into it I was like I'm doing this by hook or by crook I had a different type of ambition a different type of direction so no matter what the setback was I would find a way to bounce back and overcome it because there is no way that this is going to be the thing that's stopping me from having my rap career. Do you know what I mean? So, but not everybody is like that in respects, you know, and there's loads of situations where, you know, getting messed around or fucked over, but I'm kind of of this, of this mindset that if you can't like, there's, if I, if I kind of spent more energy getting upset about it, that's energy I'm not putting into fixing it and getting the problem sorted. So it's just having a pragmatic view of it. But I think, um, definitely it gets very it gets very difficult there was a point about i'd say probably about 2016 2015 2016 i was in a really really dark place with things because obviously we've been in a group for a long time there was a lot of discord between what people wanted to do in the group and the directions we were going in there was lots of relationship things in the in the environment that were falling apart things that you couldn't fix because you were on the road so much and then different addiction things coming into it and then also living this crazy life of super high and super broke and then super like and you know sometimes things happen you know like with foreign beggars if you look at it as a company there was three of us on the road plus our tour manager plus our management so that's about six and plus our agents so that's about six or seven people people's mouths to feed from just the foreign beggars live shows which is the main place that we were getting our money from and that was you know, once it gets broken down and all the company taxes, it's really not. We were all living on below minimum wage. You know what I mean? So on one second, it's this super high, high life, you know, upfront shows, killing it. Da, 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 da. But then at the second time, it's like that high life plus all of the addiction and plus all of the partying and all of that stuff that comes with it. And then I think we were lucky because a lot of the relationships that we had around us weren't that toxic or vacuous. And even in even in like the heavy party situations, we weren't surrounded by super snaky people because obviously but it you know but then if we i can imagine what it would be like for other people who had vast amounts of money from these situations there would be a different like level of people kind of vulture type of people kind of coming in for the Mm -hmm. taking but um yeah definitely the support is very important and i think What, um, what kind of support do you think would be useful it makes total sense what you're saying but i'm wondering whether you had anything in particular in mind um, I think just kind of some sort of music industry. Kind, I wouldn't say like like you know they have like the you know the the AA or NA meetings, like some kind of music industry related thing where it was a really safe space for people to come and talk about where they are. You know, because the thing with the music industry, it's all about everything. Whether it's everything is perception, so it's not just perception on the front facing towards the fans. It's perception of how you are in the industry how you know how what your standing is how you're handling business you know what i mean if it looks like some managers having trouble that's instantly seen as a massive weakness and then everybody else thinks they can play them off like by whether it's an agent dealing with them or another management company dealing with them doing a deal with an artist so i think having a safe space where it's like what stay what said what gets said in the room stays in the room and everybody here shares their experiences and there's a support system for each other 
that would be a really, really beautiful thing in the music industry. Because in the music industry, you kind of really have to find your friends and find your support system. And it, and it's kind of cold in a way that if somebody starts falling off, there's only so so much you can you know so much you can do for I don't know I don't know maybe people feel like there's only so much you can do for people, but I think because it's such a high stress, high attention industry for people in it, you know, there's only so much of other people's problems you can take on for yourself you know mm. so um yeah that's actually i never really thought about that until just now but i think having a kind of music industry anonymous support place where people from all aspects of the music industry whether they're a, an aspiring rapper or they are you know a ma- manager of a group like led zeppelin can go and kind of talk about their issues and the stuff that they're having but then again it's like creates this really it's it's yeah it's it's interesting i think the way i think that would have to develop over time and in terms of like the rules and code of conduct in those situations would have to come but i think that would also be a really interesting place for people to actually meet each other on a real human level as opposed to this kind of 3am bravado coked up situation you know where most where a lot of music industry business gets done you know mm. Yeah, I I hear you on that. Um, and I'm just thinking as as you were talking as well, there there will be a few episodes in this series about sobriety and addiction and finding support places. And I think you know there are a lot available, but they're not music industry specific, well, yeah. as far as I know, anyway. And I think it is really important for people to be able to connect, not just in terms of the the life struggles that they're dealing with, but also their occupation, because they're going to be different pressures and different element to that um so that would be really interesting to kind of see whether there's a way of advocating that more or putting that together um it's very interesting um i think it is time for what's the three and i've got a proper good pun here and if you don't laugh really loudly i'm going to be really offended okay so what's the three is a variation i'm going to ask all my guests they're basically i really like top three questions so i'm like top yeah. three dream top three i don't know socially uncomfortable situations whatever you're one ready for the pun all right what are the top three labels pause oh pause, yeah yeah laughter. yeah what are the top three labels that you feel are most put on you? And that could be things that you agree with, things that you don't agree with. I mean, mine, for example, I always get told by other people that I'm really confident and I'm thinking, no, I'm not. I just know how to put on a show. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not the same thing. Or, you know, people thinking that I'm intense because I don't like talking about the weather or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? Are there any labels that you feel are assigned to you or that you assign to yourself? Oh god damn it. Uh, those are two very different things that things are assigned to you and that you assign to yourself. Do you know what I mean? Oh man, I don't know. Uh fuck, I just say self deprecating shit. Um I don't know. People say, Oh, he's crazy. <laughs> you know, people like to say I'm crazy. People like to say, uh Crazy how? I don't know. I guess um I guess when I'm on a vibe I'm quite, you know, impulsive and high energy, you know. So um I don't know. People say I don't know what people say. I do you know I kind of try not to give a shit about what people say about me anymore. That's um, one of mine. I yeah. have that as well. People always tell me like 
oh, well, it's really good that you don't care about what other people think. And I'm like, I really do care. Yeah. Like, seriously, I do care. I don't know why yeah. people think I'm I'm this like brash and direct person. I'm like actually weeping in the corner looking at my Instagram yeah. comments. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not <laughs> I'm not like that at all. It's it's so very I, strange where people so get I think these it from. It's so funny. I was thinking about this today because I was like, I didn't like I don't know why this came literally before I spoke to you because I was thinking about this label, for example, like for me. I don't identify as a British Asian person because I think I was watching something about being there was there was like an Africa Express thing on Africa now on T, on CNN, and then I was thinking about how oh what was it no I think it was something I don't know what triggered it something about just the reparations that are being paid to white farmers in Zimbabwe I don't know what triggered it but then it came what? to the point where like me not because the thing is like what do I identify as because when I'm in England. If somebody just saw me, they would think, oh, assume that I'm a British Asian. But I'm not British Asian because I'm Indian. I wasn't born there. I don't have a British passport. I kind of only get called, get put in this box because this Asian box because I'm an Indian person in England. Otherwise, I don't get referred to Asian anywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. So, oh, yeah, I think maybe he was thinking about one extra music or where like placing my music on the BBC Asian network or something. I don't know what it was, but triggered it. But as even though I kind of, but if I, if I, if, if you met me and we spoke, then you would be like, yeah, you're British. Do you know what I mean? But then I can't tell somebody I'm British because I don't have a British passport. So it's very strange. So, but then, yeah, it's just strange. So I was imagining speaking to somebody at the home office and they'd be like, yeah, I'll be your British. But then I'd be like, but I'm not British. But then how would they deal with it in a, in a situation where I guess it's a positive situation because I'm so British, you know what I mean? So mm. I, I guess know. it depends on what you define British as, like whether it's a, a linguistic, cultural, political identity. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. not. Um, yeah, but then, again, then it comes into that area of like, I'm British when it suits you kind of thing. You know what I mean? So, which is just a bit of a funny situation. Because I was thinking about the term African-American, you know, like looking at a person, somebody from Lagos or Ni someone from Nigeria, maybe they've kind of been in and out of America their whole life. One of their parents lived there. They're kind of very Americanized. They've gone to, they might be at Harvard. They sound and look fully American, but then they will be referred to as an African-American in England. But I mean, in America, but then they certainly are not because are they? But, but are they or are they not? Do you know what I mean? But then the whole term of that whole thing of putting people into boxes of like, oh yeah, I know what it was. I was watching this Iranian doctor on CNN and kind of how, he was an Amer an American Iranian, but then how he would self-identify in America is like, I'm American Iranian, but imagine saying that, you know what I mean? It just feels really strange. Like either be, why can't he just say he's American or why can't he just say he's Iranian or be both? Why does he have to define himself as an American Iranian and kind of put himself in another box, which is even, I don't know. Do you, anyway. do you think that's just related to, not just related, but do you think that that's primarily an issue around ethnicity, race, culture or do you think that it's kind of across the board because I'm also thinking about people that get billed particularly like LGBTQ communities and it's like why has their sexuality got anything to do with what they're doing do you know what Completely. I mean Com absolutely why it's you know what I mean I, I, that's so weird but I was, I was having this little debate in my head pretty much soon after that one and I was thinking like because if I th imagine an alternative an alternative universe where LGBT people and trans people were kind of put on this pedestal as the more evolved or the people that are kind of tasked with dealing with the more kind of lofty and kind of more kind of 
I don't know, conscious things or progressive things in society, that those decisions that needed to be made because they don't need to spend their time trying to procreate. Do you know what I'm saying? And our straight people were just, okay, cool. We have a certain task, which is defined here, here, da, da, procreate, deal with all the issues around that. But then there's these other issues, which people who don't have an interest in pro- procreating, I don't know, this is, maybe this is completely whacked out and out there, but I just thought maybe there's a, you know, they're kind of put in a situation where they're the more, more kind of revered people in society who are tasked with dealing with more sensitive issues that require more empathy and more understanding. Mm. I don't know. It's, it's very random. You can cut that whole section out if you want to as well. No, I don't think I will. Thank you very much. I think it's All quite right. interesting. I was always yeah. thinking, um, what did you say? Whacked out and there was another whacked word. That, whacked out and something else that you said. What was the word that you used? I don't know, but I was like, yeah, I've heard that one before. Yeah. Uh, to me, I mean, not to you. Don't worry. Um, anyway, thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else that we haven't discussed that we should or that you want to kind of mention? Where can people find you as well and find out more about the label, about your music? Just everything at 4N Currency or pardon, PAV4N or 4N Currency. Yeah, that's it, really question though before we go yeah. i've been wondering yeah. about the four because obviously i'm all about the threes all but right. the four n is that like foreign yeah is that yeah okay cool got so it so when it's in my name it kind of but also pavan's a really common name so trying to find an artist name around my own name it was it was taken like on all platforms all names so this is one of the first ones that wasn't taken which it looks like it's when it's in capitals it looks like an a is unique and it throws back to foreign beggars which is obviously my legacy, my heritage. And then mm-hmm. again, foreign currency is just a new flip on the 4N and kind of foreign currency because it literally is kind of your artwork and your value is your currency. Yeah, it totally works for me because I'm always yeah. finding like little, oh, look, there's a three here or there's yeah. a three there or my little label pun, which she didn't laugh enough at. But, you know, oh, there's always next time. Anyway, yeah. thank you very much for being here. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to leave a rating and a comment on iTunes or wherever you're listening as this will help other people to find us. And if you haven't already, subscribe now on iTunes to keep up to date with the episodes as they are released. I actually think that this episode is also a really good introduction to some of the things that are coming and I'm not going to say any more than that so on that note we will see you next time